The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is Socially Distanced. I'm Paxton Wright, one of your two co-hosts. With me, as always, is Justin Kiever. How you doing, Justin? Hi, hello, Paxton. I'm doing all right. I'm tired. I got the I got the December uh, doldrums. The I I was trying to think of something alliterative that would go with grumps, and then. Uh, the thing is the words December and winter both don't start with G. So that just kind of died in my head. But you're, you're in you're it's, you're just looking for a, a fun sort of Dickensian way to say seasonal depression, um, yeah. <laughs> which I think is, I think, you know, it was a valiant effort. You know, you didn't quite stick the landing, but as you said, you're tired. I am too, but we're going to do our best. Fortunately, no one listens to this show. So we cannot do our best either and no one will care. So, you know, it, it's a, it's a win-win really. It really is just one of the like strangest endeavors, huh? Just, you know, it's interesting to do a show that like no one listens to except for at least one of our guests. You know what? Our, our podcast of the show uh, uh, on Apple podcasts, KUCI colon half past five, check it out. Or half past five. That's my old show. Excuse me. <laughs> half past five is dead. Half past five is gone. You'll never hear it again. Well, you can. You can listen to the old archived episodes, but no more new ones. Where can, where can I listen to those old archived episodes? That'll be on KUCI, colon, half past five, Justin. All right, moving on. No, you can listen to our show at KUCI, colon, uh, socially distanced. Uh, that's on Apple Podcasts. Um, I would get it on Spotify, but Spotify has made it hard and I'm lazy, but I really should get on that. That's been something I would, I've been saying I would do for two years, since two and a half years or whatever it's been since I started on this station and have not kept my word on. But, you know, one of these days, maybe it'll end up on, on Spotify. Who knows? Anyhow, there was a point to this. I was going somewhere with this and it's gone. Now. Yes. My point, my point is that uh, uh, we have a five-star rating on our podcast based on one review, and my mom insists it isn't her, but <laughs> she's not a very good liar. So, okay. so uh, but you know, maybe she just happened to be stammering a lot when I asked her. It's it's entirely possible. Um, Maybe her voice just went up a full octave when she said, "No, no, it's not me." <laughs> I accidentally removed uh. my headphones, but they're back on. Um, <laughs> oh God, this show's uh. a mess, but it's kind of fun. I like I like the sloppy show every now and again. It's very loose. Yeah, yeah, you know, I think it's the real uh, guerrilla radio hours going on. This is not a guerrilla station, man. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, this is the worst show. This is the worst show. This won't make it to air. Um, but, <laughs> but, but, but uh, uh, no, I think my, my hopes with this show uh, has been and continues to be that someone in the greater uh, Irvine area uh, will be just driving around flipping stations and hear one of us say, I, I don't know, cyberpunk and they'll be like oh i know what cyberpunk is i haven't heard this on the radio anywhere else maybe i can hear an enlightened discussion from two uh from two interesting people with unique perspectives on this game and then they'll listen for five minutes and go oh never mind and then flip stations <laughs> but, but uh i i'm kidding of course i think i think you and i got some brains hanging around in our in our uh, uh skulls I'm pretty sure all of mine have pretty much fully leaked out at this point. (laughs) You know, you you spend, you spend nine months almost entirely indoors. You're bound to, you're, you're bound to, uh, you know, uh, get, get a screw or two loose over time. I know I have. Um, And I know there's a very, a very sad part of my existence is that the highlight of my day, whenever it happens, is going to the grocery store. It's like (laughs) Disneyland at this point. Ralph's is Disneyland. (laughs) I was going to say, that was actually one thing. You mentioned Spotify. I, like everyone else in the world, uh, decided to see... uh, I just I decided to kind of like you know look at the uh, the record of my contribution to the death of the music industry, which is to say I opened up my uh, Spotify Wrapped, which it auto generated, and it's fun going through my top hundred songs because one it's a lot less interesting than last year because I didn't really seek out cool new music in the way that I did last year, um, and also it's fun because I just like I get to watch like or rather read different sort of like moments of like different bouts of insanity that I basically had like throughout the year. Like I was like going through the list going like, Oh yeah. And there was like those two days where I just listened to centerfold like 200 times by the Jay Giles band. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You used to have a music show on here that was all metal and punk. That's a, that's a a hard contradiction to the, the taste I've, I've, uh, I've associated you with. Yeah, no, I just like I had a point over the summer where I listened to uh, the Giant Bombcasts episode where they just like talked about like the worst songs of the 80s. And I just suddenly became like really obsessed with like a few of the songs that they picked. And that was just a thing that happened to me in like July. And I was like going back through going like, oh, yeah, that happened to me. And there's where I started playing Tony Hawk because there's uh, Machine Gun Kelly and the Ataris. (laughs) And um and and uh superman and yeah i don't know there's just a you know like we we still have uh, at least i think one more episode to come out in the year 2020 but i feel like this is our kind of like year in reflection like like if we do like a year like in summary episode that's not going to be the honest one this is the honest (laughs) one this is we'll do a uh we'll do a um we'll do it we'll do a clip show on on january that we'll get um we'll get the we'll get dick van dyke to host i don't know i <laughs> i tried to think of like an old-timey celebrity that would have hosted like a clip show in the 60s he's still alive um i i i saw i saw dick van dyke at the uh 
at the the I went to the Bernie rally earlier this year when when that dream was still alive. Um, and yeah. but, that was this year. That was this year. That was like a few weeks before COVID uh, uh, destroyed us all. Um, but it was it was one of those nice final weeks. And uh, yeah, Dick Van Dyke opened, and it was it was bizarre because it was so cool to see him and also like wow dick van dyke is up here endorsing bernie sanders who'd have thought like this is this is awesome he's also extremely geriatric though um which can can be a problem at a live event um especially when there's a really tight schedule for speakers uh because and i don't mean to besmirch the man he's he's a great man he's he's done he's you know a legend in the entertainment industry and i still think very highly of dick van dyke but uh there was there was a lot of losing his train of thought there was a lot of uh there was a lot of him just dancing because he forgot what he was doing and then there was one point where he was speaking out against the military industrial complex and uh-huh. like and talking about he's like i remember seeing eisenhower give that speech when i was when i was young and it was it was you know he's like and it was a thing that you know we were all warned about but we all assumed couldn't possibly become a reality and here we are and it's time we it's time we get someone into the white house who can at least begin to dismantle dismantle the reliance on the defense industry um and he's like and you know sometimes sometimes the military is a necessary he's like sometimes the military is a necessary uh a necessary uh force that we need to employ because i think about you know when we when we dropped the nuclear bomb on hiroshima and nagasaki and it was a sad day but i am so glad that we did that and who boy and, and then he forgot what he was saying again oh, no. and then it was just dick van dyke saying oh, no. he glad the atomic bomb was dropped and then silence for what felt like an eternity oh, <laughs> and then no. finally an aide coming up and be like all right oh. mr van dyke uh we we have to go public enemy is gonna perform <laughs> oh that's terrible that's that's terrible in so many ways because because like the thing i was going to say before you got to the end of that story was just how like wild it is like how wild it is to one i just i was thinking like oh yeah eisenhower was the person that like yeah gave the speech critiquing the military industrial complex in the 50s and you just think about that and go like wow And, and think about like how you can't actually really articulate that critique in like the current state of American politics. And I just think like, yeah, like, it's, you know, it can, it makes sense that, you know, we think of the, the older generation as being like inherently more conservative, which generally, you know, isn't true, but like, yeah, you think about like, okay, it makes sense that Dick Van Dyke would be the one saying this because, you know, like he was, yeah, he was there when that critique was articulated and like part of like real public discourse in a way that it's just not anymore. And then, uh, whoops, <laughs> like, and then that just <laughs> took a hard turn into um, saying that the man saying that he's glad that, you know, America c- committed one of the all time historical uh, atrocities. <laughs> it was. It was such a strange moment because even through all of it, and again, I don't mean to like make fun of a man who is in cognitive decline. He's in his late nineties, like go figure, of course. I, I, but like, and he was still all things considered pretty well-spoken 
but um but like it was funny because even when he was kind of forgetting what he was saying and when he would like start there was a lot of just jigs again a lot of just pauses and then him doing the dance even through all of that the audience was supportive and on his side and like you know what he's trying yeah woo go go dick and then he hit that moment and there was just (laughs) an oh like just fell fell over the crowd I, I wish I could have been present for that. Just imagining just like the air, like the all of the air being sucked out of a room of like, I assume many thousands of people just sounds kind of hilarious. Um, and like, again, you know, I want to say uh, the nuclear bomb, again, world historical atrocity, one of the worst things that it, mankind has ever done to itself that america is responsible for and also to be the reason we have a doomsday clock (laughs) uh uh-huh and and also but also yeah i'm with you like i don't want to you know i don't just want to mock you know like make it seem like we're mocking an old you know an old man because i for one like i laugh about this kind of stuff because like it runs in my family you know like uh you know like alzheimer's uh is like a big thing in my family so there's a certain like the, the doomsday clock is ticking down on me mm-hmm. and I feel like the um you know whatever I'm you know still in my 20s I probably have a, a ways to go on that I hope um you know it's not unheard of for that to happen early but you know still um it's rare fortunately yeah yeah but yeah you know it's just kind of like there's something to acknowledging the kind of the absurdity that sort of happens as a result and trying to not you know like not belittle it but see something in it that's not just that's not either you know ridicule or pity or horror i don't know i don't know how to respond to life i feel like that's sort of here 2020 in summary <laughs> that was, what do you what do you what do we do about anything <laughs> clearly nothing clearly you, you sit at home and and just just wait to be plugged into the matrix that was that was one yeah. of the, that was one of the weirdest one of the weirdest philosophical turning points of this year for me was like was like you know what when the matrix comes around i'm done just put just stick the plug in my head joe pantaleano was right like <laughs> there's like there's a lot of beauty in this world and there's still a lot of great things and there's a lot of wonderful people to interact with but you know like also just uh, put me in a perfect one at this point just give me give me a world that's exactly catered to to what i want um i say that part jokingly and part not um but you know it is one of those it is one of those great then that that movie was all an entire exploration on philosophy of life and the importance of I mean, living life. That is essentially what that movie is all about. And uh, it, it presented a great argument for 1999. 2020, not as much. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. Like when the agents, you know, see, that's the thing, you know, like they say like, you know, 1999, like the peak of human civilization, because they just knew it was all downhill from there. They're just kind of like, you know, like, yeah, like the machines looking back through history going like, okay, so 99, you know, like whatever, things aren't perfect, but okay. Uh, and then there's Bush and then it's just all kind of, you know, there's just a steady decline. Um, yeah, so the machines were onto something, 1999. 
that's not the 90s were bad too <laughs> the 90s were real bad no there's literally never uh, been uh a, well you know there is what is it 98 when every great video game came out that was kind of cool was it 98 or 96 what was the year uh, when well, just when like half-life and ocarina of time and grim fandango and uh like countless other uh, Half-Life was 98, so I assume 98. I think I think Grim Fandango is 98 too. Those are the those are the ones that I'm like sure of, but I'll and I'll take your word for the rest. Yeah, 98 was a that was a good year for games. Just yeah, you know, like the Matrix is everyone, you know, is a gamer in that kind of literal sense of being like jacked into a virtual world and also in the like in the sense of in yeah, just everyone plays games like, you know, they create a, a utopia where or, you know, a cyber utopia where everyone's just playing the good polygonal games that came out in the 90s. Everyone's like, this is great. I'm glad I'm not being drained for my energy. I'm glad I'm not like, you know, literally being like mechanized and alienated in a, or my being has not simply become pure extraction. I'm sure glad that's not happening to me. I'm glad I'm just playing Half-Life. <laughs> well, maybe we'll get lucky and the, the Galactic Federation will come and save us after all that was one of the okay okay we were gonna talk about like cyberpunk or whatever but i'm way more enjoying the stream of consciousness thing i mean going here as long as there's some connection to the matrix the instant we want to talk about cd project red i can just say speaking of keanu reeves so as long as you give me that segue we're good okay all i was gonna say okay the, here, here's what i'll say <laughs> i think the craziest thing about this year and the last few years but especially this year while we're on the subject of the galactic federation is this increasing uh like background story that's almost been put out as white noise by people but is weirdly getting me excited is this idea that like oh it like does intelligent life exist like it, intelligent alien life and like it's kind of tinkering around with humans there's just been casual stories about like oh there, yeah ufos and also uh this israeli scientist says uh they're in contact with the galactic federation and also uh harry reed says there are aliens and also like it's and also a monolith that is definitely a performance art project but still a monolith yeah. like there's like there's just been this weird background story of like are the aliens here and are they not mean i'd sure like some some alien technology to get me over to zeta prime in the 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 alpheon galaxy put put me there yeah i'll colonize i'll i'll uh I'll, you know i'll i'll um I, I will drop any any life aspirations i currently have to go be like a a sir francis drake-esque explorer that'd be awesome i i, I mean who knows but this is like one of those things where it's like look i am setting my expectations very low that we will uh, virtually non-existent that we will come in touch with the galactic federation but fingers crossed man fingers crossed it was maybe certainly... the space force was a good idea i mean <laughs> all i know is if we if we make contact with aliens i'm just ready to tweet oh that is so 2020 <sighs> and uh yeah get so many likes and retweets i'll be so cool and then i'll <laughs> finally have achieved my dreams get ready get ready to get retweeted by chrissy teigen and just blow up yeah. um, <laughs> the uh uh 
I, I had a point I was going to go on with this too, but you know, it's gone now. Anyway, Keanu Reeves. Speaking of Keanu Reeves. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess anyway, we're supposed to do news in this segment. Um, we have five minutes left on the clock. Well, fortunately this is a pretty simple news story. I, I do kind of want to narrate my experience of this which is basically uh, this morning I woke up, it was about, you know, uh, 9 a.m. Pacific time. And I like ruining my day immediately. (laughs) So I checked Twitter and (laughs) yeah, I basically like was scrolling through Twitter and saw a thing, um, basically a news story for uh, like a tweet from Red Candle Games, who is a, uh, an independent game developer based in Taiwan. Uh, who released the very good game Detention, which I played, and they released a game called Devotion, which was a game that was released in February of last year that got immediately uh, censored by the Chinese government for containing an image of Winnie the Pooh, which is like a, an image that has been used to mock um, the, uh, the president of China, uh, President Xi, and uh, yeah, that, uh, so that got the game taken down. It's been taken down from Steam. It is not commercially available anywhere. Anyway, uh, I saw an announcement from them, from them that uh, their game was going to be released on uh, GOG, which is the, digi- the digital storefront, which is run by CD Projekt Red, who just released a, uh, a game that everyone is extremely mad at right now in Cyberpunk 2077. Anyway, I then scrolled down Twitter a little more to see a tweet that actually came about four hours after the uh, the uh, Red Candle Games tweet that I had just seen. And I'd gone, oh, that's so cool that their devotion's being released on GOG. I'm so happy about that. Scroll down about like five tweets and see an announcement from GOG that says, and I'm just gonna read it because it's funny. Earlier today, it was announced that the game Devotion is coming to GOG. After receiving many messages from gamers, we have decided not to list the game in our store. So from now on, receiving many messages from gamers is a uh, synonym for we received uh, immense pressure from the Chinese state. So that's cool. Yeah, no, it was basically just like this, like, oh, what, an, what a nice thing to happen today. Oh, what a terrible thing to happen today. It was just <laughs> sort of the, um, that was my experience this morning. And I feel like that's the, it's like almost a non-story because it's just like, hey, you know that game that was censored? It's still censored. <laughs> it almost wasn't, but now it is again. I mean, there are a lot of ways we could talk about the story. On the one hand, like CD Projekt Red's been having a very rough go of it lately in terms of PR, given the whole fiasco around the release of Cyberpunk 2077, and particularly the fact that they like released a statement that uh, suggested they're going to refund the game for people who bought it on the last generation of consoles because it's essentially unplayable. Yeah, anyway, uh, then it turns out they're just using the existing refund systems that Sony and Microsoft have, and they're not actually doing anything, just absolving, like they're just kind of like, you know, like trying to absolve themselves of any like responsibility in the situation. Uh, And that made everyone really mad when they realized that they were doing nothing. And, and then this happened and it's just kind of like, yeah, CD Projekt Red's been having a, been having a bad week. And again, like, I think the thing that's worth mentioning is that the, when China kind of like, when, chi- when China comes up in the context of these sorts of things, you get this, like, you get a very strange mix of responses because like Americans response to China is very heavily inflected by a lot of different ideologies. So like, you know, 
I think I think the censorship of this game is bad. I think this is like an actual bad thing that has happened to these you know th these developers who who make very interesting things and seem to be perfectly you know perfectly good people who are just making really cool art. Because like you know the people who actually got to play Devotion in like the week it was available uh, commercially have said it's a it's a, an amazing game. I've watched I've watched uh, I've watched NLP of it and it looks awesome. It looks great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I played Detention, uh, their their first game, and it's it's incredible. It's really good. But yeah, so um, so anyway, I don't want to like say like yes, this is like this is a really bad thing that's happened. But then like I was like going through the responses to the Gog tweet and saw like a thing from uh, the quartering, which is I think uh, like essentially like kind of like a right wing thing. That's like you know like how dare you? Like this is so disappointing i can't believe that you're doing it it's just kind of like oh right there's also the, this like massive like sinophobic response that kind of like happens with this stuff too and i was just kind of like yeah what a so i was just like looking at this going like oh, okay yeah like this whole situation is just this like grand ideological mess and it's just like oh what a what a bad thing and again like in terms of like the i don't know what to do with this it's just kind of like well i i hate everything about this there's not a single part of this story that i like and that's that's what i got today that's that that is the awful like catch-22 of this whole situation uh that is you know popping up in so many facets of entertainment and just like uh american business in general i mean obviously it's, it's taiwanese um devotion but you know i'm saying just like in general as we've seen lately with um was it you know blizzard and the nba uh and all these controversies in the last few years is there there's such a weird thing where it's either your perspective uh, i mean and this isn't this isn't accurate but this is how it's sort of perceived a lot is it's either you are uh, willing to brush off the like horrible, atro like authoritarian atrocities and human rights violations that are committed by the Chinese government regularly. Um, you either are okay with that or you're a giant racist. And obviously the actual, the yeah. actual, the actual truth is there's a nuance between the two, but uh, uh, th the narrative doesn't reflect that. And it's incredibly frustrating. Um yeah, um, I know we got to wrap up, but I do just want to say, like, I remember, I, like, when I was teaching surveillance this summer, I came across an article in The Atlantic that was, like, about sort of the, the police state in China, and I was just, like, reading it going, like, yeah, this is a lot of, like, really terrifying kind of, like, really dystopian surveillance tech, a lot of which we have, like, our own versions of in the United States, and um, though maybe not to the same degree, but also then I was reading this and then at one point the author just goes, China has like a five, China has a 5,000 year history of like, you know, intense surveillance measures. And I was just like, whoa, like this went from like a critique of like a particular, like, you know, sort of regime of surveillance to just like a massive, like, you know, mischaracterization of an incredibly complex, like five thousand year history it's like how can you do that how can you write something like that anyway it's just like what what is with people <laughs> well i mean i know it's with people like i know <laughs> i know what causes this but it's just like so like baffling in the you know in the reading of it anyway so yeah that's a messy bad th anyway devotion is not being released again Hooray. watch not some L Bad. watch some lps and i guess play education which i have not played but um i guess that's detention detention excuse me uh yep. which i have not played but uh i i guess that's the um 
It's the best you can do. The LPs are cool. The game looks really cool. So uh, there's that. Anyway, we will be back momentarily with more, uh, with probably a more structured conversation than what we just had, probably. But um, will we'll it see. be as will it be as fun? Who knows? That's for that's for uh, 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 only time will tell. Okay, bye. <laughs> listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is Socially Distanced. I'm Justin Kiever and with me with me is my co-host Paxton Wright. How's it going? That's me. You know, uh, if you're just joining us, uh, you missed a really uh, good and well-structured uh, half hour of radio. <laughs> <laughs> we can't actually tell them. <laughs> it was something. It was a time. <laughs> Uh, you know, if you heard me kind of like slur my words a little bit as I was doing the uh, announcement of, you know, what you're listening to uh, in the lead in, just imagine halfway into a fifth of Kahlua. <laughs> hey, I am not. Um, I was going to say, just imagine half an hour of just that, just like, you know, <laughs> those vibes. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, but that was our, that was our first segment where we uh, talk about news or just go into a mic um this is our second segment of our show uh which is uh, called feast in the weast where we talk about the media that we have been uh, feasting on last week i talked cyberpunk and uh this week uh, paxton has something to share with us uh i have been uh so yeah as of late i've been playing a game that has gotten not nearly as much attention as cyberpunk because it's it's neither a hot mess nor um setting the world on fire with excellent quality it's just a a solid a solid nice game that's enjoyable um and inoffensive and that is the recent remaster by skunk ape studios of uh sam and max season one which was a game originally released by telltale in 2006 uh the the now the now uh the telltale that has now gone the way of the dodo um as of was it last year or 2018 recently they died but yeah sam and max was sort of uh, we'll, we'll get into the history of it but sam and max is a franchise that's been around since the 80s technically um but uh it has had a lot of different lives and iterations and it, it's it's a it's sort of a um an ever morphing franchise in how it's distributed but uh sort of sam and max's big comeback and the game that sort of first put telltale on the map was uh season one of sam and max back in 2006 which was uh like pretty much all if not all of telltale's games uh an episodic uh adventure game uh they telltale had released a few other games prior to that i think they did like an adaptation of the bone comics uh by jeff smith but sam and max was the first one that gained traction because it was a somewhat it was an underground but somewhat well-known ip um and so yeah it was a revival of of the franchise and of course uh telltale while they were around in their heyday they would go on to 
do you know huge hits like the walking dead and the wolf among us but uh and by comparison sam and max is a much more um it's a much more bare bones game than something like the walking dead uh but it's 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 super funny and it's very charming especially if you're someone like me who grew up on lucas arts adventure games like the original sam and max like monkey island like grim fandango uh, it's far more in line with how those games play um, in that it's a game that is a, a linear narrative uh, with a few basic settings. There's no combat. Um, it's basically all dialogue trees and puzzle solving. That's, that's the whole game. But it's, it, so it's really all dependent on if you find those dialogue trees amusing or not. If you don't, there is nothing there for you because the puzzles are not particularly complex. Fortunately for me, I love those dialogue trees and I love Sam and Max and I have for uh, well, since I was like a little kid. It's a franchise I have always held very near and dear to my heart. And so the remaster is very exciting. I guess like before we start talking about the remaster, because I would be really interested in talking about Sam and Max kind of like within the context of like Telltale and like the, uh, the game. Because Telltale as a company kind of uh, as a development studio has kind of like an interesting trajectory. Oh, yeah. Um, but um, so I'm really interested in talking about Sam and Max on those terms. But before we do so, yeah, can you just give me a little bit of like the history of Sam and Max? Because I don't know any of it like at all, really. So I'm pretty much completely in the dark aside from kind of like knowing what Sam and Max the characters look like. Yeah, it is a it is a bizarre franchise, not just in its subject matter, which is also incredibly like bizarre and and comprised of a lot of like. Uh, non sequitur imagery and just ludicrous stories but also just bizarre in its its history so it started as an underground comic by this artist steve purcell back in i believe it was the early to mid 80s it did not have a consistent release schedule they just kind of came out when they came out and sort of became popular in the comic book sphere of the era via word of mouth. Um, and they follow the adventures of uh, Sam and Max, the freelance police. And it's uh, uh, Sam is a, for whatever reason, that classic image that we see all over the place of a brown dog in a detective's uniform. Why, why uh, mankind is so obsessed with this image, we'll never know. But he is a brown dog dressed as a detective. And with him is his partner, Max, uh, a, quote, lagomorphic rabbity thing, which is he's a he's a short rabbit with uh, with beady eyes and giant sharp teeth. And uh, basically the, the story follows the, the, the comics follow their hijinks. Um, as they go about solving crimes and saving the world via the most unconventional methods ever. It's a very cartoony series. And part of the appeal is that while the protagonist, especially Sam, by looking at him, you know, detective dog is such a symbol of righteousness and good. And they are, you know, the police, which in media anyway, is typically a symbol of righteousness and good. Of course, reality is blurrier, but that's another conversation for another day. But they are both complete chaotic forces. I think it's pretty easy to put them on an alignment chart as Sam is the chaotic neutral one or the, the lawful neutral one and Max is the chaotic neutral. I would not describe either protagonist as being good because they, while they do set out to save the day and they do set out to do the right thing, they do not care about the destruction and havoc and often death 
that like they leave behind them they are they're so, just like the cops <laughs> oh wait yeah wait they're actually ah. incredibly on point bazinga um i just <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. It, just, it slipped out of me. <laughs> I, the thing is, I say Bazinga jokingly a lot. I want to make very clear I'm not a fan of the Big Bang Theory, but I, it's neither here nor there. I don't need to defend myself, but uh, I say it jokingly a lot. That, I think that might be the first time I've ever just said it as a totally sincere uh, response. <laughs> sorry, just the sincerity of that apology. <laughs> oh, wow. Anyway, where was I? Anyway. So, yeah, so same so the the comics just sort of followed. They were just isolated weird stories about these characters getting into weird situations. And the threats, the threats were never like, oh, there's a madman who's trying to take over the earth. It's like, oh, there's a fridge with so much mold and rotted food in the back that it has like morphed into a tentacle monster that is trying to consume everybody. Like the 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 antagonists and the threats are always bizarre. It is a bizarre world that the franchise is set in. Uh, eventually, it gained enough traction in underground communities that LucasArts, another dead developer that makes uh, adventure made adventure games, particularly in the 90s, uh, picked up and made Sam and Max Hit the Road, which was sort of a companion piece to, you know, um, I think Monkey Island Day of the Tentacle. It was around that same era. It was a, I think you would call it 16-bit. Um, it's 16-bit with like pre rendered backgrounds so there's it's more animated than something like a you know a super mario world it's uh, a yeah i mean you know it, it's a it was a game that was released on ms dos like it you know um it's pixelated but i feel like they're even with saying something like 16-bit kind of like evokes a certain kind of like very heavily pixelized aesthetic and this is something a little more from what i'm from what i'm seeing from screenshots a little more that, that tends to tends more toward like American animation. I would say it's an apt comparison. It's basically just think about an American cartoon and then just like drop the resolution severely is kind yeah. of, I guess the best comparison I could think of. And yeah, that, that game, that game uh, was also a big cult hit. Um, it wasn't a massive blow up blowout success because no LucasArts games really were in the 90s. They were all modest hits that basically kept the lights on in the studio. LucasArts didn't start bringing in the gobs of cash until the aughts when they started making exclusively Star Wars games, for better or for worse, mostly for worse, but with some exceptions. But uh, yeah, so Sam Max it, it was a critical darling, had a big cult following. Uh, not a lot of people bought it. Uh, but there was still potential seen in the franchise. So I forget which network, but a TV network in the early 90s uh, picked it up as a children's animated cartoon, which is which you would think by looking at it, if you've seen the imagery of Sam Max, it seems perfectly fitting. Um, and ultimately it actually, it actually quite, it actually was, it's a pretty good show. Um, but when you actually know the characters and know that there is a, there's a, a panel in one comic when they're shooting at someone like who's just off the page, it's like, a, it's a, it's a panel that's facing upwards at Sam and Max just blowing someone away right at the bottom of the page. Like, and it's from their perspective. And Max is going like, um, he's going like, I, he's like, I told you not to mess with us. I warned you, didn't I? Didn't I? Oh, I didn't warn you. Sorry. I thought I warned you. Like that's who these characters are. <laughs> they have just so little disregard for human life. Just like the cops. Anyway, <laughs> there it is. 
there it is biz bapo um but but uh uh so but yeah so the cartoon obviously dials that back tremendously but they still have that same chaotic energy their their characters more in line with as we talked about a few weeks ago like more in line with the animaniacs and their behavior and their demeanor in that they're they're menaces they're frustrating to basically everybody around them but they ultimately are forces of of good i guess you would say they do they do save the world they are it is it is just more child friendly um the show lasted one season was barely watched but again critical darling uh small fan base that actually kind of got bigger over time it got bigger when episodes were all ripped and put onto youtube back in the aughts that's sort of how it gained a sort of new albeit still niche audience um but uh but but yeah so that that show happened uh and was quite funny for the most part and then uh come 2006 telltale acquired the license and yes and now we've come full circle and they picked it up and rebooted the franchise uh as a new adventure game a la sam and max hit the road um but a lot more accessible because basically over time uh, one of the one of the many gripes that people have about old LucasArts adventure games and a lot of the reason they're very inaccessible to a lot of people justly is the fact that the puzzles are so asinine and based on random combination of items, which is how they pad out the length. They're actually quite short games if you know what how if you know what to do. So it's basically walk into a room take out an item from your pocket and try and interact with everything in the room and then see if an animation happens or if progress gets made. Um, the new Telltale, uh, Telltale's Sam and Max is that, but to a much more logical extent, the puzzles do typically make sense. It's, you know, there's a, it'll basically just be um, what items do I have in my inventory what would make sense to solve this conflict I have? Or what could I do elsewhere that could help me achieve X thing in order to achieve uh, Y thing? If that makes sense. It's a little complicated, but it's... Yeah, I mean, um, having played, I basically entered Telltale around The Walking Dead and I played like a tiny bit of uh, Tales of Monkey Island when that came out. Mm -hmm. um which was you know like yeah telltale's reboot of another very pop or you know one of the more popular lucasarts uh series and yeah i mean i think like the thing that kind of happens with telltale is that you i mean especially with the walking dead you see like this real kind of like focus on like notions of like choice and narrative over puzzle design which seems to be a little bit of what sam and max kind of tended toward based on your description earlier and also um a kind of modernization uh, of like the adventure game format where yeah we're basically just like the logic is kept like more consistent and you are guided and like your your inventory i feel like is kind of like limited compared to like the just massive kind of like amounts of or the relatively massive amounts of items that you could like accrue and then have to like check against like everything in like multiple locations like you're just directed a lot more in these like later adventure games which is just sort of a an indication of the tendency of like game design kind of as a whole like throughout the years 
Yeah, and it's an interesting it is an interesting evolution to the mechanic because I do ultimately think it is for the best because my god, I love Monkey Island, but you know, chicken with pulley, that's a reference for everyone who has played Monkey Island. What a what an absurdly frustrating experience that game can be. Okay, and I I recently like replayed a bit of uh, the first Monkey Island, and Chicken with Pulley is one of the easier things to figure out. That's true. That's true. It is the for the zip lining. It is just I, I think it's it's the meme puzzle. It's the one that everybody who plays Monkey Island remembers. But there there yeah. is there is worse. You're right. Um, because because that's the one that you actually manage to figure out and go oh that was incredibly frustrating and then you do the other stuff the game asks of you and it's way worse right i played that with a guide and still got too fed up with it oh yeah to continue after a certain point like i got to the fight in the mansion and i was just like all right now i have like a million items and a million places to go and i don't know what to do and i don't want it anymore and the game is not even remotely hinting what might be doable that's the other thing too is there is a mechanic because you play as sam in telltale sam and max but max is always with you by your side and so another thing that is helpful is you can basically talk to max and you'll get very loose vague hints which are nice the hints never spell out what you need to do but through your dialogue like you can kind of get a general sense of where to go so yeah and so it is it is better in that respect and that it mitigates the frustration but it does one thing it does slightly hurt it is that because the puzzles are so much simpler and they aren't so grating the the rewarding feeling of figuring out a LucasArts puzzle on your own isn't nearly as present as it is in something like Day of the Tentacle because that is that is the sort of the the benefit of those old LucasArts games is that they are so tedious and they are so counterintuitive but when you do figure one out you're like aha I'm so smart I'm so smart uh, but but Sam and Max doesn't have that as much. But it, again, it makes up for it in the in the writing and the comedy primarily, and just the absurd story um, and and out there characters. I think that's the best way you can describe it is just out there. Um, for the for instance, the premise of the first episode, because yeah, it is a six part episodic game with an overarching narrative, but each episode was sort of its own little adventure of the week, basically. Um, The first episode is about these three brothers who were on like a Little Rascals type show in the 70s called the Soda Poppers, who are now washed up adults, but who never physically grew up from being children. So they're kind of, uh, they're, they're, they're they're still in the bodies of children, but with the jaded personalities of middle-aged washed up 70s child actors. Um, who are being hypnotized by a sort of uh, like a, a 1970s new age like therapy guru who's also a washed up celebrity and by way of hypnotizing them he's using them to distribute self like quote unquote self help videotapes to hypnotize the masses and make them an like an army of loyal slaves who will only watch his shows and no one else's and thus he'll dominate the airwave and be airwaves and be beloved forever it is such a ludicrous bizarre bizarre story and every every episode is like there's one that is about um a group of a group of antiqu- sentient antiquated technology there's an arcade machine a a, um, a rotary phone a beeper and they're all they're all sentient and communicate 
and they uh, exploit the internet to create a, uh, a an alternate VR reality in order that wherein um, people will be sort of sucked into their own reality that they've created and thus they can stay relevant despite being outdated tech. Um, there is, I guess, a theme of like, huh. of like, yeah, um, of products and people of yesteryear attempting to stay relevant in a rapidly modernizing world. There is also a lot of satire of the Bush administration, which feels so quaint by today's standards. There wow. are, yeah, man. There are Carl Rove jokes and WMD jokes and uh, Ralph Nader jokes, and it's like this feels this this feels yeah this feels quaint but uh yeah and, and it, it, i mean the story just goes to absurd heights max become uh, accidentally gets elected president basically and for the latter half of the season max is just still helping you si- solve crimes but is just casually in the background still the leader of the free world um <laughs> and uh there's uh yeah it is it is um it's really just unlike any other adventure game i can think of at least that's remotely in the mainstream um and telltale would telltale did three seasons of sam and max so i'm looking forward to skunk ape which is a which is a company that is um that was formed and is run by former Telltale employees who worked on the Sam and Max games. They will surely uh, remaster seasons two and three soon enough. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Telltale, when they were around, had a very interesting trajectory because they they were doing those kinds of Sam and Max like style retreads um, and reboots of old LucasArts properties and games that sort of played in that same way. They're all linear stories, but you have dialogue trees and puzzles that ultimately lead to the same ending every time. And then they did the branching paths uh, uh, gimmick of The Walking Dead, which would then go on to inform every game they developed from that point on. They sort of left Sam and Max behind. Yeah, like looking at the trajectory of Telltale is interesting. So I'll say that like one, uh, Sam and Max sounds cool. I think that's a thing that I want to check out because um, like a good kind of like funny low stakes type thing just sounds very, that sounds very, uh, uh, it'll help me recuperate after uh, this quarter, let me tell you. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's interesting though because I feel like you know like you're right like there is a kind of there is a a shift like a big shift that happens with Telltale after The Walking Dead but I think there's we can kind of see that shift at least in the way you're presenting like how Sam and Max plays and also just like what Sam and Max like what Telltale's relationship to the IP of Sam and Max is which is you know like Telltale released exactly one game that didn't have licensed characters in it or wasn't like a licensed game. And that was their first game called Telltale Texas Hold'em. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, which uh, I have never played, but if you look at the uh, the cover art on uh, the internets like I'm doing right now, it looks like the kind of thing that you find in an Office Max for like $2. <laughs> like it's pretty, um, pretty rough. But uh, oh yeah, that's no. Right. And one of the sorry to interrupt, but one of the one of the characters in Telltale Texas Hold'em also makes an appearance in Sam and Max season one. Oh really? Um, yeah, they he's uh and he's a poker player in it. Nice. Um, just a fun fun little nod. That is cool. Um, but yeah, like the, but like really pretty much immediately, like Telltale becomes a studio that 
uh, yeah, is just, you know, is adapting things. Like they're t like taking and like they start pretty much like with, you know, uh, like you said, like the adaptation of a bone and that kind of, the, the fact that they basically become a studio that whose entire output is adaptations and, uh, and you know, adaptations with a kind of like a narrative bent. Like that seems like that's kind of already there in like Sam and Max to a certain extent. It's just that like they, um, they, they kind of, they make their name with that in the kind of like the series in, they, they get a blockbuster hit in The Walking Dead that pretty much like, really ties them to that i think maybe in a way that like they weren't in a way that they weren't necessarily prior to the success of the walking dead well i think i think what the way they i mean i i can't say for certain the entire trajectory and all the nuance of the business decisions they made but as far as i can tell from just sort of studying their trajectories they they shot themselves in the foot after walking dead because it was such a successful formula because it was such a smash hit with a huge ip that they basically had this look at this this perspective of like if it ain't broke don't fix it um so they kept the same formula and kept adapting wildly expensive properties guardians yeah. of the galaxy batman um uh borderlands huge huge franchises turning these uh, turning these into their own styles of games and releasing like two or three a year back to the future um yeah. and and like spending so much money on these ips with such a consistent like barrage of releases constantly that all had the exact same gameplay formula that never evolved or changed and eventually consumers get sick of that like i don't care I, yeah i love guardians of the galaxy but i don't care i've played this game 12 times already I, just because it has rocket raccoon and it doesn't make this that different an experience for me at all and thus like as they kept buying up these increasingly more and more expensive uh properties their playership went down because they never evolved mechanically um is my yeah. my two cents on it but I, there could be more to it than i'm unaware of in terms of business practices i mean we're running out of time to kind of like uh to get into this but i in basically in broad strokes i agree and i think um it, telltale is interesting because i think uh what their trajectory is like really mirrors a lot of kind of like like i don't think anyone really thinks of it like telltale is like a really big triple a studio they you know had like something like 200 employees at least like at their kind of at their peak you know like it was a big studio that like they weren't just like you know a little indie dev but um nonetheless uh you know you never think of them as like being like you know like the the upper tier of AAA, and yet their like strategy of production was very AAA, like almost like more AAA than someone like Ubisoft. And like you think about Ubisoft, like Ubisoft has one kind of game with like different flavors, you know, like open world map clearing games that are either stealth shooter or stealth shooter. And but nonetheless, like you know, they and some of those franchises are very successful, and some of them aren't. Um, and the thing is like Telltale kind of operates in a very similar way. Like they are, you know, I think part of it is that they don't own any of these IPs. Like you said, like they're licensing very expensive IPs and producing the, basically in a very kind of like classical Hollywood sort of like factory style way, the same kind of game again and again and again. And 
relying basically on the name recognition of these franchises to actually move these things. And eventually that just kind of stopped working, but it's just, um, I don't know. Telltale is just such a weird, like it's such a weird story about them just because it's weird to me that they only had one game that wasn't a licensed game. I don't know. Like that's just a very, what a, what a weird kind of place to work, I guess. Which I, an unlicensed game, which I might add, I, we do really have the going, but I will just add um, that they made two semi sequels to with all licensed characters. Exactly. Um, yeah, it was the first one was Poker Night at the Inventory 2. Uh, Poker Night at the Inventory, both games I love, by the way. I still play the Poker Night games fairly regularly. Um, but Poker Night 1, wherein you play against Max from Sam and Max, Strong Bad from Homestar Runner, uh, uh, The Heavy from Team Fortress 2, and Tycho from uh, uh, Penny Arcade. And then in the second, you play against Claptrap from Borderlands, Brock from uh, uh, The Venture Brothers, Ash from Evil Dead, and Sam from Sam and Max. And also GLaDOS is there from Portal. Um, it's a, uh, yeah, it is, they, they became the, they became the, the IP studio. It's the adaptation studio. It's, it's strange. Those games are awesome though. I do love the poker night games. Um, but anyway, yeah, we are, we are very out of time. Uh, I, that's Sam and Max good game. Cool. I, I encourage people to check out the remaster. It's really fun. Uh, and you know, check out seasons two and three when they're ready. It's available on switch and, uh, and PC. I'm like giving a full on plug, but it's good. It's fun. And exactly. As you said, it's a very chill kind of blissed out, just funny low stakes experience it's very good i'm going to close on we're going to close on uh the one of the best the best musical number from the game because it's also a game that is full of musical numbers fun fact it's kind of a the song is kind of uh a goof on the bush administration's handling of the iraq war it's weird and it's funny all right take care everyone stay safe bye everyone